Hi and welcome to Sabi Reason's Malicious Life. I'm Ran Levy. Our guest in today's B-Side episode is someone who I don't think I really need to introduce. I mean, you love cybersecurity and you're obviously listening to podcasts, so there's more than a good chance that you've already listened to Darknet Diaries. After all, Jack Resider's show is the most popular cybersecurity podcast out there and one of the most successful tech podcasts in the U.S. in general. In some ways, I feel that Malicious Life and Darknet Diaries are almost sister podcasts. Both were born at roughly the same time. I think we started the podcast at about mid-2017, and Jack started Darknet Diaries later that same year. And both are narrative in nature. That is, telling stories in much the same way that books and movies tell a story. So it was only natural that we'd find ways to collaborate, and indeed we played two of Jack's episodes here in Malicious Life, and he played two of ours in Darknet Diaries. And so it's a great pleasure, and a great honor even, to have Jack Resider as our guest today to talk with our producer Eliad Kimchi about the origins of Darknet Diaries, his heroes and role models, and the effect the show's success has had on his personal life, which, you might be surprised to learn, wasn't always 100% positive. If you haven't listened to Darknet Diaries, you're definitely missing out on an amazing podcast. Check it out on darknetdiaries.com. And now, on to Eliad's interview with Jack Resider. Enjoy. Can you tell me maybe the story that preceded Darknet? Because I remember when we talked, we were chatting at DEFCON about three years ago. And I remember it was almost an all-in for you, right? It was like all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it was kind of like, you know, as a shark, you smell a little drop of blood and you're like, oh, I'm going for it. Yeah. I don't, it's hard to know exactly if there was one thing. It was kind of like a whole bunch of different indicators. Like, number one, I loved podcasts and I had grown up listening to This American Life and Radiolab and just was so glued to shows like that. But then when I was getting more into podcasts, I was like, well, where's the one on security and hacking that is storytelling in that kind of form? And, and I would see stories that would show up like four or five years later that had a whole bunch of more things that happened, but nobody would, was covering it on the news because they were just little minor things. Um, and so I was like, well, who's going back and recapping all this stuff? And I want to hear the whole picture, the whole story from the beginning all the way to the end. We know so much more now. Because when, when you know, a security news story hits, we uh, guess at a lot of the details. Oh, it must have been Russia or China or this and that. And we don't know very much. And then we, we learn later it was totally not what we thought. And all that stuff we thought was totally wrong. And there's all, all this extra information. So I, I like this kind of slow news kind of thing. Just wait until all the information is there. And then tell me the whole story. I want to hear the whole story, not just the bleeding edge news. And that's the kind of stuff I wanted to hear. So there was this like void in my life. I wanted it. So uh, there's that. And then there were people like um, Leslie Carhart and Johnny Xmas gave a talk once that said, 
um, you know, they're, they're, these are two big names in the infosec. They, they give talks probably like three or four talks a year. And uh, one of them was like, Hey, don't, if you want to impress a, a bunch of people, don't come up to this, you know, an infosec conference and talk in front of a bunch of infosec people. It's really hard to impress those people because they're, you know, they're very tuned into everything. Go to something like Comic-Con and tell them you're a hacker and here are the things you've hacked and you'll be amazed at how much you can pack the, pack the room and amaze people who aren't in this circle. So go outside the infosec circle and give talks there. And that kind of triggered something in me as well of like, maybe I can expand this. Maybe I don't have, to, like, it doesn't need to be just for infosec people. It can be for the wider audience. But at the same time, I wanted it to be for me. I wanted it to fill that go- that gap in, in my head. And I'm, I've yeah. been in infosec for 10 years at that point doing, um, network security engineering, managing firewalls, intrusion detection systems, this kind of thing. And yeah. so I was like, I don't want it to be too dumb for me. I want it to be entertaining for me too. So I wanted that good balance of there's enough technical stuff in there to satisfy someone like me, but then there's enough simple, it's explained simple enough to to hit the wider audience. And, and like yeah. I said, I want those uh, people who are closest to it to be in, to be in it as well. I don't want the experts. I want the p- boots on the ground kind of people. And uh, yeah, all that just kind of came together. And I said, maybe I need to make this thing. It was a field, especially back then. It was a field that needed to be demystified, right? Like, I remember the target hack and all these things that were happening around that time. Yeah. There's a lot of misconceptions about hackers, right? It's like, yeah. oh, there's this yeah. magic involved with it. Well, if, if they find the password written down or if the password was admin admin, where's the magic to that? There's no magic. Right. It's just a really big basic flaw that some system admin did. They didn't secure their stuff enough. And somebody just came and typed admin admin as the username and password. And that's how the hacker got in. And so that's not even hacking, if you ask me, right? That's that's barely anything. And so uh, it's it's that kind of demystifying. And there's there's times where you think, oh, it's happening in a dark room and you know, all this stuff. But you know, I do some stories where it happened in, in fifth period class in a high school on a on a tablet, mm-hmm. on a app, an Android tablet, right? right? And so it's like, well, think about that as the hacking setting, fifth period class on an Android tablet in the back of class, and they hacked the school's website, right? Like it's, it's, I like, I like demystifying some of that stuff and showing us that there's a lot of different people involved in this, a lot of different settings, a lot of different methods to do things and stuff like that. It was, it was uh, obviously it was a great success. I mean, it, it really hit with a lot of people. I mean, remember when we were talking, it was almost like we were kind of neck to neck in downloads, mm-hmm. but then, uh, and that was three, three years ago. But then I remember next time we met was, uh, it's like two two years ago or so, and you were already way like it was a runaway success. It was like a, for us, it's you know it's a slow growth. For you, it was like a huge spike, and it's still growing, right? And um, did it feel like a, an explosion like that? And no, it, but but we'll yeah. talk about that all in kind of feeling, right? So I I as I as I launched it, um, people right away um, were were listening to it that I didn't know. And that's kind of a big deal for a podcaster. You first showed your friends and family, and that's probably where it stays for like the first six months or something. It doesn't really expand beyond that. That first iTunes review from somebody yeah. you don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I was at a conference and someone came up to me and said, you know, I only had like six episodes out by then. And they came to me and said, I've listened to all six episodes and I cannot wait for the next one. And I'm like, who are you? I don't even know. And they're like, oh, I don't know you either. But <laughs> and so that was like that was like that taste of blood in the water, right? As a shark. Yeah. And so I'm like, wow, there, there's people who really like this and they're really itching for the next episode. And at the same time, there was um, the, like a, like a, maybe a year after that, right? Uh, uh, somebody came up to me at a conference and just handed me money and said, you're, you're, I just appreciate you so much. I want to show thanks. And wow. I'm just like, this is crazy that people are, are, are just so into it. And of course, I'm getting fan mail and all this kind of stuff. But and the fan mail is is crazy. Like people are saying that they sat their whole family down to listen to this one episode, and I'm like, who? Mm-hmm. Like, how do? Who does that? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I knew something was special about it then, just because of these kind of little things that would show up every now and then. If it mattered so much to some of these fans, then I knew if I keep it going and if I scale it up then it's going to work. I just knew it, right? It was clear at the time. So that's why I was able to just say, okay, I'm going to put everything I have into this. And this is something that I've been wanting since 1999, right? The dot-com boom. I was like, how did I... How did this pass me up? I could have wrote anything, a dictionary online, and uh, and I would have been very successful by now. And yet I didn't do anything. And then the Bitcoin boom came and I didn't do anything, right? So I was like, okay, I'm not going to miss like my last opportunity. Uh, The podcast was booming at the time, right? So I was like, okay, I'm getting in on this. And that was great because I rode the wave. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's, uh, I quit my job and I mm-hmm. went full time into podcasting, even though it wasn't making any money, like zero money. Yeah. Um, I was like, I'm going to give it three months of just full 100%. And, um, if I can start making money at the end of that, I'm going to keep it going. And, and sure enough, I started, I got my first sponsor at the end of like three months. How did it all affect you from, from quitting your job? Going all in, FOMO, like you don't want to miss out on this wave. Actually, I feel like you really paved a way. Like it wasn't like it was easy for for any of us. Um, and I don't know if people know, but back when we started, there were podcasts like Reply All, these huge podcasts that were like almost seemed insurmountable. But how did it feel going from uh, quitting your job, doing that, but then now you're you've surpassed a lot of these other monoliths or what should we call them? These mega yeah. podcasts. My, my competition, right? Because here's the yeah. thing. When I, when I was like four or five episodes in, I, that's when I looked around and I saw all these shows that are exactly like what I had in my head. Reply All, your show, all these places. There's another one called Hacked. And, and I was like, oh, actually, this has been done. This is, there's nothing new about this. And so I kind of give up. I was like, even, I even... Um, I even listened to Reply All and I was like, there's these episodes are the same exact topics I have listed in my Trello board of like potential episodes. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. And they interviewed the people I actually wanted to interview and everything like, ah, there's no way I'm going to get that story to be any better than what they did. And um, yeah, you're, what, you know, Malaysia Slide was doing was great too. And I was like, oh, forget it. I think I'm done. Um, but, and so I really, I really did. I was like, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm not gonna be able to outdo these people. You know, you, you've got a corporation behind you at malicious life. Reply all has right. been there for years, just not going to happen. And, um, I listened, I was like, okay, well, you know, I started this because I wanted this to be, you know, I wanted to be satisfied with the, sh- with a show like this. So uh, the more I listened to reply all and, and malicious life, I was like, this isn't the way I would do it. It's the same story, the same topic, the same exact format with the music and everything involved. 
but it's not the way I, it's not from my perspective. It's not how I see the world. I have a different upbringing than the people who made these other shows. And so that to me was just a different enough differentiator to say, I think it's still worth me doing this, even if it overlaps on some of this other stuff, because it didn't cover some of the topics I wanted them to get into or, or ask the questions I wanted them to ask. We didn't push the border the way I wanted it to push. So it just, there was just not that satisfaction enough still, even if it was close, it wasn't enough after I, and I think if I had heard about that first, I probably wouldn't have made the show, but mm-hmm. because I it was already like four or five episodes and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it anyway. I remember when we first started, it was like you and us, uh, I think we were kind of first and then, but then there was like hacked and breached and thousand synonyms for hacking. And they're all promoting it. Like McAfee had a giant base of like existing uh-huh. customers and, you know, and they were like going up and we were all the way in the bottom. Yeah. But, I mean, another thing is I was indie, right? I was independent. Yes. So exactly. You had, you had cyber reason behind you. McAfee had their thing. And I was like, well, I don't have to listen to anybody. <laughs> I can just do whatever I want. Yeah. There was something special about that too. Like you and I were talking about the, there's a story, the NSA reached out to you, right? Like mm-hmm. the NSA, that's like, yeah, insane. yeah, there, that's, um, yeah. When you know, I was at DEF CON one year and I got a tap on the shoulder and was like, Hey, I'm part of the NSA and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> Oh shoot, what did I say? What did I do? Are you here to arrest me? What's going on? Cause I like, know I want to share a story with you. And, and the, the fact that the NSA listened to my show and had a story that they wanted to share with me was just really remarkable. Yeah. Is that not insane to imagine that somebody in a, in an NSA dark room is like sitting in front of a monitor and, and you're in their ears Mm -hmm. like whispering. Yeah. (laughs) How are you today? Uh, (laughs) The, uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it is crazy because it, it, it stretches into all different areas, right? I mean, I'm in the ears of the Apple engineers and the Google engineers and pick like a building in downtown New York city. I'm being played in those buildings too, right? Like, yeah, I've gotten emails from people who are, you know, I work on the 67th floor of this building and we listen to your show, like the whole office is into your show. And I'm like, wow, it's crazy. And I don't know if I'm influencing them or educating them or what, what I'm really doing, but I do feel like I have some sort of power that, you know, I've got their attention at least, right? Then I think that's kind of what this game is about is getting people's attention and keeping it for as long as you can. If you can do that, you're winning the game. And I think once you can have attention, you can monetize that attention and stuff like that. You can do whatever you want. I do get nervous sometimes when I, when I'm about to hit publish and I like the next day after I wake up after publishing, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, did, uh, did I stir the wrong bees nest or did I say the wrong thing? Or, you know, did I forget something that I, do I sound like a total moron? Cause I didn't research one little thing enough. And, and now I just all coming back to me. So I do get nervous that I can talk with these people or I could talk to these people and they don't abandon me and think that I'm just a fool of moron or something. Right. They, they actually yeah. respect it and they want to come back for more. And that is just such an amazing um, experience, I guess. Yeah, is that something that still happens to you, or is that like a relic of the past? Something that no, it still happens. I, um, you know, some of these recent episodes, uh, 
I, I get pointed, right? I, I talk about kick and how much I hate kick the app and mm-hmm. uh, all these things. And there's some other episodes like that, where I'm just like, this is wrong on all these levels. And you, you, you express all your opinions and some emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, you know, I'm bound to offend someone or something, right? Like yeah. it's, it's just part of it. And I get nervous about that, right? Who did I offend or what did I not do respectfully enough or all these things. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, I'm specifically offending a company in that situation, right? This is how, how horrible that company is and stuff. And I'm not that kind of person to want to really put my finger right on someone's chest and say, you're messing up, you're screwing up here and I hate you. Um, but that's sometimes I think it calls for that. So that's the p- parts where I get nervous. Um, does, you know, anytime we talk about politics too, and it's weird how much politics comes mm-hmm. up in cybersecurity where it's like, we just want to secure the router, man. Why are we talking about politics here? But it comes up so much. I mean, it's such a personal thing, though. Even even the way you describe it, you're sitting in a bar talking to somebody. I mean, who do you sit in a bar talking to? You you, you talk to friends. You talk to family. Mm-hmm. And such a personal thing that you're replicating to hundreds of thousands of strangers every time you press that publish button. And yeah, I mean, I, I wonder how that makes you feel, especially since, I mean, the irony here is, so if for all of you who are listening on the podcast, you're, you can't see Jack right now, but if you go on our YouTube channel, which you should, you can see the extended interview, um, and Jack is, is, has a filter over his webcam. He looks like a beautiful painting right now, <laughs> um, beautiful expressionist painting, and I'd love to purchase, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, and you do have something you, you you do guard your privacy uh in in some ways right this is that's something that's important to you mhm yeah i mean for many reasons i i'm a privacy advocate to begin with um i'm putting my finger in the chest of some companies that they might not like so i want to make sure that it's harder for them to find me if they need to like find me uh, you know, there's people would probably love to have that feather in their hat that I hacked Jack Recider or something like that. Right. So, um, just make it harder. Right. And I know it's not going to be yeah. impossible. Um, you know, if, especially if you go up a nation state actor or a billion dollar company, they're going to figure out something. It just takes one phishing email, honestly. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and then, you know, in the media, there's a lot of attacks against journalists and I feel like I'm on the spectrum of a journalist since I'm trying to, you know, tell these stories as truthful as I can. So yeah, I just, uh, want to, and, and the internet, it's a dangerous place. I've been, uh, somewhat stalked before and I was just like, Whoa, this is crazy. So backing off out of that. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of something that Ron actually, Ron Levy, the host of the podcast, he was researching a story about worms and Trojans and things like that. And he started getting paranoid about his own, life like every uh every like cpu hike that was out of place was like oh god it's a crypto miner every single uh packet going in the wrong direction is like oh god somebody's monitoring and he got paranoid for for a while i feel like that's something that that could happen to you is it is it the stories that do you feel that sometimes yeah i mean when you when do you when you get a new kind of vision sometimes where you know what can possibly happen, there's like this flashback in your head of like, oh my gosh, I made so many mistakes. I'm 
sure I'm, <laughs> I've been hit by that because I didn't know that was a, you know, an attack vector or something like that. Or I, I made these mistakes and I'm sure somebody picked up on it somewhere. And you, you, you can have these kind of flashbacks and it gets really scary sometimes. Um, and it's really hard to like stay on this path of keeping yourself secure. And I think that's probably where all security people should start is keeping your own self secure. And mm-hmm. I get, um, I get surprised when I see people, you know, presenting so much of their own private life online and they're, you know, security advocates. I'm like, start with yourself. Like I could probably guess your like your 10 of your, you know, um, secret questions. What's your, <laughs> what's your dog's name? What's your favorite color? Like all these things, like you're telling us all this stuff on social media. It's easy. Why do you keep creating this podcast? One of the things that just brings me such joy is to teach people things and to show them what happened. I really love this experience of like knowing of this, you know, this secret lookout or something like that in my town and then say, hey, I want to show you something. And we climb up to this, you know, place and we look out and it's like a beautiful view of the city or something that, you know, not many people know about. And it's like, wow, this is cool, right? There's this experience of just giving someone a new experience and watching their face light up that I just get really high off of. I love that. (laughs) Showing people this cool stuff in the world. And I think that's, that, you know, is probably the base of that is just teaching, right? Teaching someone something new and seeing their face light up and say, oh, wow, I didn't know that was possible and all that stuff. And so I just love doing that. And, you know, I make the show because I want to hear the show, but then I also make it because I love seeing people, and there's so many so many emails I get where people are like, well, I was a farmer and I listen to his show because I have 12 hours a day that I'm working in the farm and I've just totally quit farming and I've gone into cybersecurity and I'm getting my certs and I just got my first internship and I'm like totally changed. You know, even, even like an auto mechanic or even a dentist, I think, told me that they switched careers. A lawyer once did it. Um, like, And it's crazy that I'm pulling all these people into the infosec space because they've all like they've been on the fringe they love computers they had video games they you know they played video games they cheated in video games they did some hacking of whatever they played around with programming but they didn't know where that could lead them and they didn't know where they wanted to go in the computer world so they just kind of resulted to whatever their family taught them or whatever they were pushed to do Mm -hmm. um but now they're seeing like oh my gosh there's so much fun to be had in cyber cyber security where we can we can catch bad guys and lock them yeah. out and chase them and hack into things and all these things. And they're like, that sounds like just where I want to be in the world. And uh, they just didn't know that before. And so you show them these things and their, and their eyes light up and it's like, okay, I'm going to do that for, <laughs> for my career. So, yeah, I mean, it's just fun to, um, to get people excited about security. I mean, I was drawing to computers too. And then I've, like moved away to do pharmacy work for a while. And I didn't, uh, you know, I, I was like, my heart was still with computers. So yeah, it's one of those things that I think is people fall in love with, but then they end up doing something else and then they come back to what they love. Yeah. yeah it's amazing that, you know, you can take somebody from being a farmer to go and starting a career in security, but I guess that's the sort of infinite possibilities of, of computers. Mm-hmm. And there's um, also something artistic about the show, right? There's music and there's the way I tell the stories and craft it and the writing. I mean, I've written, if I count all the words, right, it's it's about 15 novels worth of stories I've written at this point. What uh, do you enjoy and, more? Do you enjoy, do you enjoy the writing more, the act of uncovering the story, the telling of the story? 
it's so much work. I don't know if I enjoy it just because it's just a, it's a mountain of work every two weeks. I'm just like, again? Oh, gosh. Yeah. It just got done with this. It's yeah. just, it's so much work. I'm, I, maybe I'm just getting worn out from it. Um, but the reward at the end is always worth it. Um, but yeah, I've never been a, I've never been somebody who likes writing. Um, I just am somebody who likes making stuff. And I, I just, I love when something comes together and it, there was nothing here on this computer and now there is something here and this is something I made. And yeah, I mean, there is, there is a lot of artistic stuff to it. Writing is an art. And when you make something artistic and people like it and they want, they want more of it, that's another high that I get off on, right? I'm just like, wow, it's great that you appreciate the thing I've created in the world. And that, that just brings such a joy to me. Malicious Life is sponsored by Cyber Reason. There is nothing better than a live simulation, especially when you're fighting cyber attacks that are becoming more and more complex. Defenders are always looking for the critical edge to reverse the attacker's advantage, and it's only through live attack simulations that you can truly see what might provide you that winning edge. Join Cyber Reason's global attack simulations to watch firsthand how attackers use the latest infiltration methods and execute on sophisticated malicious operations, and more importantly, how to end these operations before they happen. Reserve your spot today at cyberreason.com slash attack sim. I mean, what's more, more even amazing than that is that you had to learn all these things kind of as you were getting into it, right? I mean, you probably yeah. had the artistic talent within you, but um, storytelling, all these things, were those things that were easy for you to learn or how is that? Well, I'm, I'm kind of the person that's like, what's the formula here? What's the method? What's, what are the professionals saying? You know, so I look and there was a book called Out on the Wire, which is done by... Ira Glass from This American Life, from Mars, from 99% Invisible, the Chad Abenbrod from Radiolab, these kind of people uh, put together, it's like how to tell audio stories. And it's not so much how to do the, uh, the mechanical parts of it, but just the storytelling aspect of it. And I just soaked that up so much because these people are masters of their craft. And so I was like, well, I just go to the masters and they'll teach me. And on top of that, there's a, there's a Khan Academy course called Pixar in a box, which Pixar teaches the art of storytelling. So I was like, well, mm -hmm. this is great too. Pixar's great storytellers. So, I mean, I went to these people who were just great at what they did and I respected them. And I just listened to these and I watched these and I read these things over and over and over until I really got it. Right. And so there's a lot of tricks like, one of the tricks I learned was there's a formula that Ira Glass uses on This American Life, which is, this is a story about X, but Y happens instead. And that's mm -hmm. kind of like the formula. And what's great about this is like, we think it's going in this direction. It's a story about X, but then there's that word, but, <laughs> but something happens instead. So our, our intention is to do this. So that means we've got to set the stakes to go in this direction. And then we've got a where we know that there's going to be a hard turn somewhere. We're going to go in a totally new direction. And that's kind of what that formula is, right? And so that's how I look at all stories is in this formula kind of thing. And then we break it down into like every 90 seconds of the story, 
that's again how it's going to be. You think it's going in this direction, but something happens instead. Um, and these little twists are what keep you interested and keep you hooked and listening more. And you can't wait to hear what's going to happen next and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, I pull all the tricks I can from all the masters who have been there before me. And that's kind of how I had to get started to learn how to do this as well. I didn't really know. I mean, I kind of could tell a story, but I didn't know what was great about storytelling and what isn't. And um, th- this is how I had to learn. Are you kind of uh, are you a film buff? Do you do you enjoy consuming this type of uh, things? Are there movies that you yeah. really love that really inspired you to kind of get into this? Yeah, I think um, Wes Anderson is a big mm-hmm. influence, and I really like uh, I really like slight edge like edgier, grittier films like um, like I don't know Fight Club or Thirteen Monkeys. Oh, yeah. And stuff that's just a little bit cerebral and cinematically amazing. Uh, these are the shows that I like the most. Mr. Robot's, of course, a great show. And um, it, there's, like, they, it holds back. It doesn't put a bow on it and just says, here's the whole thing. You're done. It gives you something to think about and something to explore in your own self. A little riddle to kind of uncover while you're watching. Yeah, and a, another another show that I really like is called uh, Princess Mononoke, and there's oh, yeah. like there's three like fighting factions in this. Uh, it's uh, like an anime, and um, you know there's there's this uh, place called Iron Town where they're just trying to help people, and they want to get um, they want to you know support they want a nice safe place for the humans to live, and they're they're helping people who are you know in need and stuff in Iron Town, and so you feel good about help you know maybe that's the place that should win, uh, but then there's the there's the forest people or uh, you know and and the and the animals in the forest that are getting wrecked because of Iron Town, so they're trying to battle against Iron Town. So now you're like, oh wait, the forest people should. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they, you know, it's hard to know which side to be on, but then there's another, there's like other town, there's like other people involved in this and people who want yeah. glory and, and to try to like solve problems and have peace. And so you want them to win as well. And so in that one movie, you're torn and twisted of who's, which side to root, root for and be on. And you really don't know. It's just, it's really hard because everyone has a good point on why they're doing what they do. And it's almost impossible for them to live together in harmony. And I love yeah. stories like that, that just tear you apart internally where you don't know what you want as the film is ending. It's not like, Oh, I just want this one thing to be solved and then everything will be okay. No, there's so many things that you need. And and I love that in storytelling as well. Yeah. Because they're, they're, it's such a human thing. I guess the majority of people aren't truly evil or truly good, right? We're all complex creatures. So I guess uh, to conclude, uh, uh, I want to ask you, what's your message to everybody out there? What's your legacy, the lasting impression? I want to kind of touch on the future before we uh, end. Where Mm. Where do you think Darknet is going? I don't know. I'm just, I want, I want to document some of these big stories, right? So, you know, Stuxnet and stuff like that. Let's just kind of recap when it's all over and, and put it out there. And now it's out there, right? Like, so, and I know like Kim Zetter has written a book on it. So people have done it, but I'm just saying like, I like when the story's over, somebody needs to come through and do a front to back. Here's the whole story of that. And it doesn't have to be something big like Stuxnet. It could be something smaller like, um, 
um, uh, darknet marketplace, uh, you know, person who ran that or something, right? So it was anything could could be there. I just, I like putting that together, encapsulating it, and then putting it out there and saying, okay, now you can go consume this whole story. And I, I like that. So I hope that's a legacy that kind of sticks around because these stories are kind of timeless. Mm-hmm. But it's also interesting how much technology has shifted over time and where we are today versus where we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And I think like 50 years from now, we probably won't even have keyboards anymore, right? Oh, Everything yeah. will just be like, voice activated or just type on your arm or, you know, like uh, the more ubiquitous inputs, uh, AI thoughts, whatever, Neuralink. <laughs> so right. 50 years from now, it'd be fun to look back at a show like this to say, this is what hacking was about after the turn of the century. And I, I hope that that's kind of a legacy that sticks around. Well, awesome. Uh, Jack, thank you so much. It was so, so nice to talk to you. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great. It's always fun catching up with you. Yeah, buddy. All right. Thanks so much. Oh my God. CK Music. Music. Music.